So longtime listeners of the show will probably remember Jay Davis, who's been on a number of times. Well, in addition to being a friend and a consulting client, I'm excited to say now that he's also a sponsor of this show. Last year, when I was spending a lot of time at his company's office, he started a new company called Pillow Cube, which is this awesome memory foam rectangle pillow that's tall enough for me to be a side sleeper, but not have to have my head sag down like when I try to fold over my regular pillows. It's really pretty amazing, and for any side sleepers like me, it's great so we don't have to wake up with shoulder pain. On top of that, it's been really fun for me to see him have so much success because it's been selling like crazy. Anyways, if you're a side sleeper, I highly recommend going to pillowcube.com and getting one for yourself. Types is we go with influencers and people that really are understanding what's going on. So I would say for us, it's more of a target on influencers who do and get our product in a big way. So because we believe what we're doing is the overarching umbrella, while paleo or keto or any of those other diets, primal, those things will all come and go underneath the umbrella that we're that we believe is the bigger umbrella. So we're trying Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Today on the show we've got Jean David. Thanks for making time for this. Thank you Jess for having me. I'm really looking forward to having a nice chat over the next hour. So tell people about Outer Isle Gourmet. So Outer Isle, you know, the the name comes from if you're eating healthy, you're eating the Outer Isle of the grocery store. So that that is where the name came from. When we, the other reason we grabbed it was there were very few trademarkable names at that time. And in the healthy food space, you know, it's unlike tech, you can call yourself Google or whatever, you know, in healthy food, you kind of need to be meaningful and purposeful with your name most of the time. So anyway, that's how we settled on Outer Isle. But Outer Isle, we really was born out of our own health journey. My husband and I took out all processed carbs out of our diet about seven years ago. So anything empty carb that raised our blood sugar. So we worked with a a doctor was doctor directed. It was a six week program. And we, the, at the end of it, we had just never felt better before in our lives. My husband lost 30 pounds. I lost 18. I lost 18 in three weeks. And, but the big thing was our brains, our brains were not foggy. We had clear and clean energy all day long. There was never that down at two o'clock after lunch. And and the, the fogginess of the afternoons that we had had prior to eating a sandwich for lunch, let's just say, and, and not understanding the correlation to what was going on in our body. So we did some educating on our own about why we felt so good, why this sort of eating was great, and we were committed to it for life. So it was really just protein and a few servings of vegetables a day and um, five servings of vegetables a day to be exact, and salads didn't count. So we we became acutely aware of how few vegetables we got in a day. And, And he also didn't want us to do juicing in that. He just really wanted the vegetables in their form, you know, because of the fiber content. 
in. So, so pizza crust, cauliflower pizza crust was starting, starting to be seen out there on Pinterest. And, and I was like, oh my gosh, if I could get this, but bread, because I was, we were getting so bored with just protein and vegetables. It's very cumbersome to eat that way. And so, but the bread was the vehicle, right? That you can put turkey and avocado on or whatever it is. So for me, the bread was the one that I really wanted to try to get. So the cauliflower pizza crust out there gave us the idea. And then the sandwich thins were, were the definite product we wanted to get out of that. So, so that's kind of our story. We wanted to bring it to market because we, we knew we wanted the product and we felt like it was going to be the bigger trend based on the research we had done personally on what was going on in, in the, with the American sad diet, as they call it, the, the, you know, standard American diet, the, you know, the acronym for that is sad. And just with the diabetes epidemic and all of that, because of the empty carbs that we're, that is, that our diet is so packed full of. So, so we really felt like this was going to be the big trend. And, and so we, we thought, gosh, if we could get this, I know other people would like it. So, but we really wanted it ourselves. So, yeah. So we started selling to family and friends first in an R&D group and the rest is history continued on from there. So, and it's the sandwich thins and the pizza crust are the main products, right? Main products. Yes. And I, so I was interested in this, by the way, congratulations on, on all the success and the awards and, and everything that you've received. Thank you. Um, uh, you know, this, this spring, my 16 year old daughter challenged me to a no sugar month. Uh-huh. She was, she was trying to do better. So we both put up some money, you know, nice. and, and whoever ate sugar fruit first, the other person got all the money. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'd always been a skinny guy. I didn't have to watch what I ate. Like my metabolism didn't slow down until I was like 38, you know, yeah. and I could do like, you know, three huge bowls of ice cream after dinner or like at 10 o'clock at night, every night, yeah. <laughs> this kind of unhealthy. Yeah. Well, then 38 hits and it's like, Oh, actually that's starting to add up. And I, go home for the summer, you know, around July 4th, my brother pokes me and says, Oh, good. Getting a little, getting a little, uh, a little lecture there, huh, brother. So yeah. I do the no sugar thing. And like, I dropped two belt sizes in like two weeks, yeah. right? Three mm-hmm. weeks. And then I was like, man, I always wanted to like, I always wanted to like put on a, whole, a lot more muscle. Cause I was always this lanky guy. Right. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, I don't want to just, now that this is over, I don't want to just go back. I want to like right. start here for when I ever get to this muscle building thing, right? So mm-hmm. I did a Tim Ferriss, the four hour body thing of, you know, I don't know if I'm really doing it, but the way I describe it is like beans, protein and vegetables mm-hmm. <laughs> is pretty much all right. And yeah. what's funny is like how hard it is to eat like that. Like yeah. our society does not yeah. make that easy. It's cumbersome. You know? It's a lot of work. Yeah. yeah. Lunch, breakfast, like you know, so I actually didn't know about your product. So I looked you up and I did like the store locator and there's like two grocery stores in our town, South of Park City, Utah that have them. So we're going to go get them. Nice. And Park City, that Whole Foods should have them there too. So um, if they don't. I'm I'm in Heber, South of Park City. Oh, got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No. And what people don't understand is that bread is metabolized like sugar in your system. So people understand, oh, I, I want to avoid, you know, the, the blood sugar up and down all day, right? I'll take sugar out of my diet. But what they don't seem to understand is that empty carbs, so pastas and potatoes, white potatoes and, and the bread is also metabolized as two tablespoons of sugar in your, in your, in your day. So 
that was the big aha for us as we realized, wow, we got to get that out because that's jacking our blood sugar up. And, and the whole point of what we were doing is to keep our blood sugar level all day long and with no, no sugar spikes, no, no glucose, no, no insulin, the up and down that goes on with, with carbs and the sugar. So yeah, it was amazing. And, and then quite cumbersome once you realize it and you're like, I like the way I feel, my body feels so good, so energized. So it's like a high octane vehicle. We, we talk about it as gas, you know, and how you're feeling on four cylinders, six cylinders and the fuel for your body, you know, it's amazing. And especially when you're doing high level stuff, it becomes even more important that you're not falling asleep on a call at two o'clock in the afternoon. (laughs) So by the way, anybody who wants to check this stuff out, go to outeraisleGourmet.com. And, and look up the, the plant power. It's right big on the package for uh, when you're at the grocery store. But, you know, I'm not quite as good as you. I, 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 still, I still want my ice cream occasionally, this kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. But all the time now, it's like, because I did that work, like I dropped like 20 pounds. And mm-hmm. because I did that work, I'm like, I don't want to just give it back up, right? So I look around and people are always trying to feed me bread and, you know, all sorts of stuff. Because just how society eats and right. especially if you want to eat something quickly, you know, mm-hmm. right? Fast food, anything like that. And I'm like, oh. I'm not, I'm not wasting it on bread. Like I'm saving up right. for ice cream. I can't, right. I, maybe it's exactly. like dark chocolate. I'm not, yeah. I'm not wasting this on useless, on a useless bun. You exactly. Know? Yeah. So that's where I'm at these days. Go ahead. Well, the, uh, the other thing too, that I often forget is each sandwich then is actually one serving of vegetables. So for us, we were trying to get five servings of vegetables in a day. And we would often find ourselves at dinner, like, oh my gosh, I need five servings of vegetables. I had no vegetables all day, you know? So, so the fact that I could eat a turkey sandwich, which is turkey and two servings of our sandwich thins, which is actually turkey and two servings of vegetables, no bread at all. That was like, wow, that would be so radical and so revolutionary. Sign me up, you know? So that was, that was our goal. Well, I annoyed my wife to death because she, you know, when I didn't want to, when I didn't want to eat the way we've always eaten, you know, and she's like, I'm just trying to get, I'm trying to get dinner on the table. And, you know, that's, there's been some stress that way. Right. And, and I do, I guess I just like observe everywhere how much the, the business of food is not, you know, has not caught up to what you guys are doing, you know? Right. Right. <laughs> well, um, I would say we were in the difference is we were a little bit older than you. I was in my late forties. My husband was in his fifties. So I'm going to give you five more years <laughs> or, or 10 more years. And at that point we were like, we got to change something. Something's got to give. I was, you know, just beginning to gain two pounds a year because I was breathing, you know? Yeah. So well, so check, you've got a product that actually helps people that, mm-hmm. that there's people out there looking for, right? You're, you're, you're playing in the right sport. Then you have the problem of running a company. Mm-hmm. So, so talk to us about the business and, and what you feel like some of the biggest lessons you've learned building this brand are. I would say, you know, some of the biggest lessons learned are really, you know, I started in production. I started from ground up and I think that was really key. Because I understand every aspect of our product. And because our product is made of vegetables, it's not flour. You know, there's no flour in it at all. So it's very different baking with vegetables. Cauliflower is 80% water. 
So there's a lot of things going on with it. You know, some batches and some kinds of, some times of the year, cauliflower is more moist than, than it is. You know, it's got a higher water content. So all of those things, but me being on the production line and being very hands-on, I mean, I started production in my own kitchen. So we burn out the heating element, the the door hinge broke because we were opening and closing it so much. So we learned because now being CEO at, and, and continuing to grow the company, I actually can give great insights to our quality control person. You know, she's now, now we have a quality control and a, and a QA department where we first started, you know, and she'll, she'll kind of think of things regarding, you know, she came from Nestle. She's got an amazing background, but she doesn't understand the properties like I do just because I have the experience of, of creating the product. So I would say the biggest lesson learned is be involved in every aspect from the beginning, you know, know, know your business, know your company, know your product. And that would probably be the biggest thing is I, I really learned a ton by being hands-on. And we decided early on to go into manufacturing because we knew we looked at co-packers and they were all using dried flowers. And we know we did not want, we were committed to fresh cauliflower in our product and fresh vegetables always as a swap for the high processed carbs. So um, we knew that wouldn't work. So we committed early on to be a manufacturer. So I guess kind of knowing your product, knowing your niche and not being afraid of working hard and digging in. Yeah, you know, I really didn't have that much exposure to manufacturing. I'd been in finance and management consulting, but we we got super fascinated with the ways that people have adapted kind of the Toyota lean production system to all sorts of other industries, you know, and mm -hmm. I ended up going over to Japan and, and touring Toyota and a bunch of their suppliers in these places. And it's, it's interesting how much emphasis they put on having the top people go to the shop floor repeatedly right. and don't just rely on reports on the computer and don't just assume, right. you know, how everything's going. And like the Japanese word for it is Gemba, like where the work is actually happening. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's like a religion for them of like, yeah. get out behind your desk and get to where the work is happening. Yeah. And, uh, and that's where all the opportunity for improvements are and eliminating yeah. frustration for your staff and cutting waste and doing only the things that your customers actually want to pay for, you know? Yeah, it is. It's very key. It's very key to understand how, how, you know, the process is working. And our, our son started in operations early on. And his first thing was to get me out of there, just mostly because I was so, you know, in it. He's like, this company can't grow with you in production. So thank goodness, you know, he's like, we got to get you out of there. You know, he knew at that point, everything that was you know, concerning that, but he was really a great visionary and loves all the automation and loves thinking of ways to go beyond what we were doing. So he was really good at that. And of course he had started from the beginning as well. So we were very blessed to have him willing to quit his regular job and come work for us. So yeah. And again, he, he knows it from, from that time, from the beginning. Sure. That's great. I think my next question is, you know, it, it could seem intimidating, you know, the, the food space can be so competitive, right? There's already how many thousand SKUs in the regular grocery store these days. And like, you know, you're going to have to elbow shelf space away from someone else, or, you know, like there could be a lot of intimidation about taking on something like that. 
when it came to things like like branding and marketing, what are kind of some of the principles that you you live by making those choices? So for us, the branding, you know, starting with the name, the main thing was to be able to trademark it. And a lot of young brands don't understand how important that is because, you know, the legal ramifications down the road. And as you as you get to be good in somebody, you know, you can't have a name somebody else is using. You know, it's just, a, I would say, a huge landmine that people don't, you know, don't often understand going in. So knowing trademarking, also very important from the beginning is trade secrets. And we were super, we were doing something nobody else was, and we were very aware of that from the beginning. And I mean, we set out a big goal. We said, we want to revolutionize the bread industry, forget pizza, like we're going after bread. And we knew that that was, you know, a a big market. And so from the, from, I'm married to an attorney, I, I have to disclose that. So he, he was very, very serious about the non-disclosures and getting everybody to sign them and you know early on and it was kind of a pain in the beginning and now I am so grateful we did and but yeah we so we've really kept our trade secrets within because we're in manufacturing so we never had to give any of those away we've never had anything co-packed and we continue to I believe benefit from that we're really the only product on in our niche there's a lot of players on the fringe, but nobody doing what we're doing. They're really, they're really gluten-free products that use some vegetable flours. But if you look at the carbs and the content and, and the ingredient panel, it's nothing like we're doing. So I guess my question is there, how do you get the busy shopper to slow down enough and find that out? I would say that's done on social media, you know, and letting, getting the brand known out there because you've got to drive traffic to the store. And really early on, I, I tell this story all the time because early on, we we were fortunate to, to enter the market through the Whole Foods Forager program, local Forager program. So the Forager found our product and we entered the market through their local program. So they gave us four stores. And that year I spent every single weekend in one of those stores doing a demo myself. And so I was educating consumers because it was really weird, honestly. I'll be the first one to say, eating bread that actually was made of cauliflower was weird at first. We, We actually, our first iterations of the product we called it veggie sandwich things and veggie pizza crust because cauliflower was too on the nose and it wasn't the cool thing. So cauliflower had not become that. So two years in is when it began taking off. And we then switched to cauliflower sandwich things and cauliflower pizza crust. But but really just getting the principles out there, helping people to understand the why behind the product. And one-on-ones demos in the store at that point were key. That got the velocities off the shelf. I mean, our velocities at shelf were amazing. You know, we'd sell 15 cases in Whole Foods in, in our town every week, you know, for somebody not knowing and understanding the product. So we knew, we felt like once consumers understood it, that they would get it, you know, and want it. So, Yeah. It's interesting, the idea of, you know, having to do things that don't scale so you can get big enough to scale, you know, and like start, start with stuff you're not going to be able to do forever to get big enough to do the stuff that you can do forever. Right. 
Yeah. Well, what's really interesting is you can't even get people to talk to you. Like, you know, they, they, you say what you're doing and they're like, yeah, you know, like, good luck. I, I mean, even, even our local distributor, you know, of produce to all the grocery stores, I wanted to buy, I wanted to set up a wholesale account with them. And I was just trying to get my numbers down. You know, I wanted to know what my costs were going to be. Well, sorry, can't give you that. I mean, until you set up an account and until you're buying, we can't even quote you, you know, so I'm trying to get all the numbers for when we might be able to. We were buying all of our ingredients at Trader Joe's retail for the first year. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, and those were actually pretty reasonable compared to some of the distributors, you know? So yeah, believing that, you know, we did have a point where, my husband's a finance guy and we had another guy and they just said, I don't think it's going to pencil out. And I just got, you know, very determined to show them that it could pencil out. I, I got our cost of goods down by 50% that day. And they still were like, whoa, how did you do that? I'm like, just give me a challenge. I'm going to do it. You know, what, what did you do? I called, I, I really dug down on numbers and I, I got a distributor to talk to me and got them, you know, engaged in what, what our volumes could be and what they would be. And I just dealt directly with all the costs and I was literally able to cut it all down, you know, by 50%. Because we had been in R&D stage, so I was just buying what I needed to get things done. I wasn't really focused on that. And that's when we had that meeting and, and they said, we really don't think it's going to pencil out because we were really trying the whole way to see if it would pencil out. And, you know, if, if the supply, cause like during that time, that's when cauliflower went, they had a, I think it was a flood and cauliflower totally spiked. I think it went up to like $68 a case and we were buying it retail. And so normal would have been about 12 to $18. So we lived through that and survived it. And then we got our cauliflower contracted. So that will never happen, you know, because it is a commodity up and down, but we're contracted. So that, you know, so we've put in safeguards to work through all of those things. So yeah, just takes a lot of tenacity. Yeah. I'm interested when you talk about social media and getting the word out, you know, Mm -hmm. there's, there's so many health grazes and diets and this influencer and so-and-so contradicts everything you've heard from five years over here. How do you, how do you see your opportunities or contrast against the other, you know, maybe information that's not quite as credible? What, what are, what's kind of some of the principles you use to, to play that game? So for us, it was always very, very clear to us that what was so important was to keep your blood sugar level all day. So for us as a product, it wasn't vegan, it wasn't paleo, it wasn't keto, it wasn't any of those things. It was really low glycemic. And that's the trend we we saw coming. And that's the trend we were very engaged with because we believed What we were seeing at that time was the prediction in 10 years were that 50% of our country would be diabetic or pre-diabetic. And so we got five years in and it became, and we were at 50% five years in, and now the prediction is 75% and will be pre-diabetic or diabetic. So for us, that was like, that's a phenomenal statistic that is going to wreak havoc on our medical system. Our medical system can't can't sustain that. So people are going to have to turn to diet for that answer. So that was our 
whole hypothesis and seeing this trend that we we call the tsunami off the shore that has really not yet crested. So you're beginning to you you began you know we're beginning to see the products morph. So you know you have the paleo people getting back to whole foods, clean ingredients, which helps to take you know to to keep your blood sugar level and keep the carbs in line. But then you saw keto. And when keto came in, that really ushered in. It kind of drew the line in the sand for us to help to help cu- get customers educated to be able to read the ingredient panels and, and the nutrition panel on some of these products that were full of carbs that they had no idea. So and my question again is the same thing. People are sitting there scrolling and Jimmy Fallon or the Kardashians or, you know, there's all these mm-hmm. attention grabbing things out there. Okay. What are you doing for strategy to get them to stop and and educate themselves? What is, how do you, how do you get them to pay attention? Okay. So I, and I guess where I was going was this is, is we don't necessarily go with food tribes is we go with influencers and people that really are understanding what's going on. So I would say for us, it's more of a target on influencers who do and get our product in a big way. So, because we believe what we're doing is the overarching umbrella while paleo or keto or any of those other diets, primal, those things will all come and go underneath the umbrella that we're, that we believe is the bigger umbrella. So we're trying to just kind of stay above and the low glycemic, low carb umbrella and continue to just follow the niche and find the people that are influencing, you know, we, we do a lot of influencer marketing. We have tons of influencers that we work with. So obviously not all influencers are created equal and, you know, even ones with big, you know, big numbers don't always mean much, Yeah. you know, and sometimes smaller numbers, but, but deep relationships will 10 times somebody who's got 10 times the followers or things like this. What's your criteria look like? How are you deciding who it is or those kind of things? Yeah, so always, you know, our, our our basic values are always clean label. So always, you know, four ingredients or less is kind of what we like to see. Definitely no nothing else in the in the ingredient panel. We want whole food ingredients and we want people who are doing the low sugar, the low glycemic. So like Choc Zero, that is the chocolate, you know, company that has zero sugar in their chocolate. You know, just we we are fine. We find those. We do promotions with those brands, and so then you become being associated with them, and and then the influencers that push, you know, those kinds. We we don't go for just the numbers. Obviously, on an influencer, they have to be like minded in what we're doing. They've got to get it in the way we get it. We're very, very adamant about that. Yeah. And it's so, proved to be good. We've got very engaged followers because of that. We don't, we don't just try to gain followers. Oh, that's great. So with something like that, you know, partnerships are always so exciting when people first start talking and then when contracts start getting written and people can, sometimes egos can get involved or people feel like, you know, well, I thought it was always understood that our brand was going to come first and you guys were going to be second or, you know, the, then the humans get involved, right? Right, right. Um, any, any lessons that you have for good partnerships for cross promotion or things like this? I think we have kind of a, a plan, you know, we, we cross promote, we'll, we do, we have a plan in place, you know, 
We, we both post on our pages. We, you know, there, there's a list of things that our CMO has compiled over his two years of experience that he goes through and seamless, you know, partnerships. Now I would say for any partnership, dysfunction lives in the gray area, clearly defined partnerships is you, you gotta have that outlined from the beginning, you know, like you said, from the beginning, it's like, what is your goal in this? You know, and and if your goal is to to increase followers or to increase reach or 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 likes or whatever it is, you know, you you have those set goals in place. I mean, we we partner with brands. I, I believe in giving back. It's a huge part of my life and part of who I am and in every aspect. And I will I will get our CMO to partner with a brand that's just starting out. You know, and there's nothing in it for us. And but but we want to be the one that helps you come along, you know, because we had people that were willing to do that for us, you know? So it's not always about us. It's really more about who are you pouring into? How are you helping others? How are you helping those brands that are starting out, not make the mistakes you made? Who are you pouring into, you know? So we're big in that. It's part of definitely how, how part of our DNA and how we lead the company as well. And on social media, you know, like we we have a great friend who started in the same shared kitchen with us four years ago, and she does this almond pate, which is amazing. So it's just almonds, and it looks like pate. You have none of the other things in it, and it's an amazing product. She just went to market in 25 or 50 of the Whole Foods in Southern California. So we're going to do, uh, you know, a collaboration with her and. You know, she, they, I think they have maybe 6,000 followers on Instagram, you know, so there's nothing in it for us, you know, so you do, you do have those one-offs, but, but clearly defined way that you engage and how you do that is, you know, is really important. Yeah. What's another one of the, the biggest lessons that you have for how to achieve more with less? I, I would say never to never waste you know, a challenge because so many times as humans, you're like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? You know, when, when a challenge comes up and, and really, if you look at that, I had a friend tell me one time that, that I didn't see obstacles. You just see them as speed bumps, you know? And I thought that was quite interesting because she was one of those people that really got hung up when she had a challenge. And, and so I was like, yeah, no, I really see him as, how are we going to get over this? What are we going to learn from it? And how is it going to make us better? So I would say really embracing challenges because every day you're going to have a challenge. I mean, you cannot be shaken by challenges, you know, and, but more than that is don't waste them. You know, what, how are you going to grow? How are you going to get better? You know, even trouble with employees, like looking at, for what's going on with you, you know? I mean, what what's in that? What can you learn from that? What can you do better next time, you know? So I would say, yeah, that's key. Have you heard of this Ryan Holiday book called The Obstacle is the Way? No. Mm-mm. It's great. It's super great. It, it really just goes through so many examples of exactly what you're talking about over and over and over. Yeah. It's, uh, I don't know. I feel like it's like my, my entrepreneur pick me up every time I get overwhelmed, every time I go, you know, start feeling sorry for myself, anything. I open yeah. that book and it's like, these people have been through like way harder stuff than I'm going through. Right. And they outthought the situation. And 
it's like I feel like the saying I always hated the most as a kid is like if life hands you lemons turn into lemonade. Right. I thought they were saying like if bad stuff happens, pretend you like it. Right. You know. Right. Yeah. And no. in, instead, he like he goes through and shows like no, you can actually like not just not just survive in spite of this happening. You can use it as a stepping stool if you'll come at it with the right mindset. Like mm-hmm. Gandhi was trying to get kick the British out of his country. Right. Well. Not only does he not have an army as strong as the strongest army in the world at the time, right? right. He has no army. Right? right, right. But he uses that, what would be a weakness to his advantage by provoking them into being overly aggressive. And the whole rest of the world shames the British out of India. Right. <laughs> the whole rest right. of the world essentially kicks them out for him, right? Yeah. Which wouldn't yeah. have been possible had he had an army that was similarly matched or or close to it the rest of the world wouldn't have felt sorry for him right the brits wouldn't have had so much pressure you know what i mean yeah it works it works to your advantage i mean you you have to be super thoughtful in all of those obstacles you know and yeah so i i would say that's that's my number one thing and to embrace it you know and to to you know it's never easy when you get you know a call that that derails you for the day that we had mold on the shelf, let's say, you know, but, but to improve one aspect of what we were doing, which was, you know, then change the trajectory moving forward. So it was key that that actually happened early on, you know? So we then put in some, some scientific stuff that changed everything forever. So, yeah. I think, and I think it is about mindset. If you understand that early on and can use that, it changes the way you see challenges and struggles and, and what the purpose of them is. I mean, it's to make you grow. It's to make you better. It's, it's to make the business better. It's to make everybody around you better, you know? So, yeah. Um, great quote that I came across a couple of weeks ago by one of the old stoic philosophers from 2,500 years ago. I think it was Epictetus. It said, I'm going to totally butcher it, but it basically says something about like, you know, the, the point was like, you know, you're whining because of all these problems, but imagine that God is treating you like an Olympic wrestler and he's just giving you good wrestlers to wrestle with so that you can get strong and skilled. Yeah. You know, yeah. this isn't like, this isn't a problem. This is intentional. You yes. know, yeah, this is, this is what he had planned for you. you yes. Know? Yes. Or it's actually a blessing because you are strong enough to do that. You know, it's like, you know, complaining because it's kind of, it's kind of interesting what happens in, in a growing and a hyper growth business, right? That everything seems to get amplified. And I was talking to our marketing, you know, our CMO the other day, I was like, it, it's not that just revenue grows, <laughs> you know, that would be beautiful. I mean, everything grows, everything, you know, the customer calls, the, the customer interactions grow, you know, the, the, the issues with maybe the fresh cauliflower. I mean, multiply that times 20, uh, uh, you know, everything gets amplified. It doesn't. And, and so it it's just an interesting thing. If you're, if you don't have that, that, tenacity and and that drive early on and that mindset the bigger you get i mean things things change and morph and you've got to always be doing next level you know like you said so gosh okay i was i guess i'm equipped to do this you know so bring it on it's yeah it's very interesting well i guess my next question is you're you're out there in the you're in santa barbara area is that right yep Man, I love Southern California. I married a Southern California girl. We spent a number of years 
Orange County and LA and stuff. But I'm interested in your thoughts about, you know, working with big, big major grocery chains and, and advice for any entrepreneur who's trying to deal with major retail outlets and, and just lessons you've learned from that. Some of the key lessons we learned early on is we were kind of, we were a bear about watching velocities and getting any reporting that we could. So usually, so again, we launched through Whole Foods and we were able to grow through that for first couple of years. They were our major customer, our our biggest customer. So we, we pulled their reports because they, they give you access to their, their data. We pulled reports every week. We knew if a store had zero, you know, in that report, we called them up and we're like, hey, we know the product sells. So that means there's, you don't have any in stock. You know, I mean, we were that hands on, <laughs> but I think it's really, really critical. The other thing that's critical is, is when you get in with a distributor, cause you can't just go to the grocery stores, obviously you have to go through a distributor when you're with Whole Foods, they require you to go with UNFI. And so the distributor will charge you back, you know, for things that are not right, <laughs> not correct. And so we learned early on, build our paperwork. Like we just, we just built our paperwork. Every time they would come back and go, no, you shorted us 12 cases. We would say, no, actually your driver signed for that. Here, here's the paperwork. The, this is the pallets. And you think that is small, but what happens is when you get those kind of things in place early on, it becomes, it, I mean, we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars a year is, is this nonsense, you know? So we built this rock solid paperwork trail that allowed us to say, nope, we, we're not taking that deduction. The other thing that we didn't know, and we, I talk to brands about this all the time, I mean, and, and they just don't understand contracts. So if you're in a, if your distributor's not paying you, they're, they're under contract to pay you in 30 days. They're in breach of contract. All you have to do is send them a nice little letter and they immediately will, will pay attention to you. Like I had a brand in Santa Barbara that's a very small brand and a friend, you know, a friend was working with them. She called me and she goes, yeah, they, they owe her owe them $250,000. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like invoice is 60 and 90 days old. I'm like, you, you can't, you don't put up with that. I mean, the the minute, the minute an invoice goes outside of that contract, you've got to act on it so that, you know, you know, they know that you're on it. So those things early on really set the tone for us to be able to have, you know, our working partnerships with retailers pretty much in line, mostly because we're in line and our paperwork is succinct, but understanding those basic business principles has kept us really guarded basically from getting in, into those tricky situations. And, and what about expanding nationally? What, what do you feel like is a lesson that's really done you well that maybe other entrepreneurs could learn from of when you geographically start reaching across the country? Yeah, I would say for us, you know, again, I'll refer to Whole Foods just because that's what we did. And we grew region by region. And that I highly recommend that. I, I mean, growing nationally is fine if you're going with somebody like Sprouts. I mean, you get in Sprouts, you, you go national, uh, you know, and they're not fully national, but they're, they've got a big footprint. But 
I think gradually and region by region is a very good thing. So we were in Southern California manufacturing. We went all the way to Texas and Louisiana because I'm born and raised in New Orleans. So we were glad to get to that that DC that covered that region, you know, but we weren't in New York yet. And we really wanted to kind of concentrate where we were initially. But that just, that just when you're with UNFI or with a distributor, it doesn't matter where you are. They, they can get product most places, but you have to have the sell through. So really focusing and getting your velocities at shelf pulling through and getting that sell through is super key. And if you grow too fast and you're not, you don't have those velocities, you can lose shelf space. So you, to me, you want to go deep, not wide. You want to go deep and prove it. So if you've got somewhere where you're not seeing the sell through, you're not seeing that velocity like you want, what's the tactic? What do you do to go help that region or that area? So I'm going to speed up to real life now, since that's what we all know these days, because it's very different than what we did five years ago. Now what we do, we really, we make sure a product is on shelf because there's a lot of times there's an issue with that. Like right now we're unloading with, onboarding with Kroger and we're finding zeros and voids. We, we got the reports, that was key. What's going on, you know, cause we know we sell. So getting the reports, getting, making sure that the product is actually on shelf, but then we are now geo-targeting our customers through social media. So, so say we just launched into the Northeast Costco. So we'll engage a Costco influencer, you know, we'll engage, we have a huge following, which, you know, didn't happen. You know, you got to build that, but then we can tap into our followers for that zip code where those grocery stores are being initiated and ignited. So that's how we do it now because there's no demos, nothing going on in the stores. And we have and great is it, is it coupons? Is it just being top of mind? What do you do once you target them? Really, it's just telling them the stores, you know, that the product is now there and now available. That's right now all we have to do. We, we might follow up if we're, if we're trying to get, we have a store chain that has us in a weird place and we're working with them to boost velocities. So we'll do BOGOs, we'll send them IRCs, they call them instant redeemable coupons that you actually put on the packs. So we'll do that for them. So it's a kind of a hybrid based on the situation, but, um, but targeting the consumers with the emails that we have, we probably, we have a ton of our house file is very big. So we can, we can target consumers and give them, you know, say, Hey, now our products are available in these stores and they're all targeted by zip codes. So yeah, that's, that's what our guys are doing now. That's exciting. Well, congratulations on all the success. Yeah. Thank you. Um, kind of winding down here. What, what's something we should end with? say one of the things I love to talk about is, you know, our culture and building that and how important that is. And kind of my leadership style has always been serving and servant leadership, pouring into our people, trying to understand what they want in their lives and be able to go, gosh, well, you know, if you've got those skills, maybe we could use you over here and continue to grow them in that way. And it's been really fun to see our young people grow with the company in that in that way. So 
One of the things I do is, is I, once a week, I'll walk around to everybody's offices and ask them what they're grateful for. And I usually try to do it on a different day because if you're doing it on Monday, no doubt it'll be about the weekend. You know, if you do it on Friday, it's about that weekend, you know, so I kind of always switch it up so that they never know when it's going to happen. And, but it gives you great insights into your people, you know, which I think is real critical as a leader, because then you can have a better conversation with them, or you can have a larger conversation because, you know, how are you today? You know, what are you grateful for today? And it'll go, cause my dad's doing better, you know, and, oh, I didn't realize your, has your dad been sick? And it just opens up a whole different conversation that you would not have had, had you not initiated that. So that's one of my favorite things to do within the company and some of the things we do. That's so fun. Can I give you one more book recommendation then? Yeah. Ken Blanchard put together this book. It's called Servant Leadership in Action. Yeah. And it's just a whole bunch of essays. Do you know this one? No, but I've heard it. I've heard about it. So good. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I like a number of the servant leader books, but to me, that one is just, it's so real. The experiences are so very varied. So you just get to see it through different people's eyes over and over. And I think because it's just an essay, people, sometimes my, I get annoyed with books because people are, they're trying to make the book apply to everyone right. and they end up watering them down sometimes yeah. where these guys are like, here's what we do at our company and here's how it works. And here's what happened. And this is who, this is who got me turned onto this. And yeah. it's just it's short and concise. It just every essay packs a punch. So nice. Anyway, good. I'll, 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 when we get off this call, I'll, I'll order the book. I love it. <laughs> yeah. And I guess one of my favorite quotes is, you know, I think it's Martin Luther King's quote is what are you doing for others? You know, I, I mean, really when you, when your why is about pouring into others and always being focused on how you can make those around you better and, and surrounding yourself, surrounding yourself with people that are better than you and, and think bigger than you, which is always really fun to do. So yeah, but always looking for ways to make those around you better and pour into them and serve them. I love it. Well, it's been fun having you on the show. Thanks for doing this. Thank you. I appreciate you inviting me on. It's been a pleasure. You bet. Bye everyone.